This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Claygood and Cooper Linton, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with. Nicole Cleggett of Transitions Guiding Lights just put on a wonderful caregiver summit uh, this past Thursday. Nicole, it, it was a hit. Well done. Uh, you're Thank still standing. You. I, I know I, these. I am still standing. It's a lot of work that you put into these. Got some sore feet, maybe more of a sore brain, but all, all is well. We had a great turnout and. Um, I think we figured it out about a 60% increase over last year. So that's incredible. Caregiver numbers are growing, but also I think, you know, the reputation of the actual summit is growing as well. Absolutely. Uh, I think you, part of this is just fueled by the inspirational stories of our caregivers. Uh, they show up and they share part of themselves when they come to these conferences and they share it with other people in the room. They also share it with us and we come out of there recharged and refueled. Mm hmm really by the experience that they have and the passion that they have for taking care of the people they love. It's, so it's watch amazing. out this evening. <laughs> this show, we might be just on fire. We could be on fire this <laughs> evening. It, 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 it's a ton of work to put these on, uh, and we have three more coming up this year. But um, So if you missed the one uh, this past Thursday, you, you certainly have an opportunity to, to go to other ones. There'll be one in uh, Raleigh and one in Chapel Hill and then one down in Bowie's Creek in Harnett County. So there's, there's still opportunity for that. But it's just an incredible experience, and uh, we have uh, sponsors that really make this affordable for everybody, which we greatly appreciate. Huge gift to us, for sure. Especially AARP, their underwriting sponsors. Absolutely. Yeah. They've really stepped up, and, and I think they have a unique understanding and they've of the caregiver experience, and they've done a lot of research on the caregiving experience. Mm-hmm. Caregiversummit.org is the place to go to, and I, I didn't get a chance to introduce Cooper. Cooper Linton <laughs> with Transitions Life Care. We've, Cooper, we've been affectionately referring to you as... Clinton around. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, C. Clinton. Yeah, the uh, nothing like an email address to actually just change your entire name. <laughs> so that that works out fine. Yeah, uh, he's the Clinton without the scandal. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a I'm, I'm the boring one, really. <laughs> so, well, let's let's get to the subject matter at hand here, and we're going to uh, visit the, both the uh, the realms of hospice and palliative care, and these are often linked together. And Cooper, b- before the program started, you were bringing up some good points about, you know, taking these into consideration um, is kind of key to having control over your situation. It, it is. I think part of it is we, we think about hospice and palliative care and we kind of sometimes have very morbid feelings about it or we've had a great experience with it and we uh, feel like you know, everybody that does that work are, are angels. But instead of going down that path, I'd actually like to think to, about Stephen Covey and end-of-life care. People go, "What? I have no idea what Stephen Covey and end-of-life care have to do with each other. But one of uh, his uh, seven principles is to begin with the end in mind. And, and it's almost like the idea of reverse engineering your life. Of If we really want to have a positive end-of-life experience, then part of that is having a positive life experience prior to that and making putting some plans in place and that really needs to happen before we're having a conversation about palliative medicine or advanced directives or hospice it's really talking about some larger issues of personal goals all of those get wrapped up in the hospice and palliative care what are your goals of care what are your goals for your family but in a zoom out perspective 
What does that mean for how we live? How do we care for our care, uh, care for our loved ones as caregivers? How do we care for ourselves in the caregiving process? And what's the experience that we generally want for our families? You know, I think often, you know, when you when you when you're a woman and you're having children, I've had three, and that's that's it, <laughs> no more. Um, but they spend an awful lot of time during that nine month pregnancy talking to you about what do you want your delivery plan to be like, you know, and they tell you to write it all out. Do you want pain medicine? Don't you do it? Do you want to you know, have a baby in a bathtub or don't you? What what is this going experience going to be like? And and I think you know, and and people really get obsessed with all that, and they come up with this great old plan of what they want to do. But I don't think we we really look at end of life about uh, in that respect, and I think that's actually a pretty interesting way to kind of bridge from one topic to another. If if we really think about you know how do we want to deliver a child, how do we actually want to exit the world ourselves? And I think if we think about that in advance, we could have a lot more control over what that's going to be like for us and make it a much more pleasurable experience for ourselves and also for the family that surrounds us. I agree completely, and. How do we incorporate our medical providers into our plans? Pardon me. How do we incorporate the medical providers of our loved ones into these plans? How do we capture all this and make sure that what we want to have in place is actually in place? Otherwise, the system kind of defaults. It's Mm -hmm. almost like getting on a roller coaster ride. And it's your choice to get on it, but it's not your choice of where it goes or how it runs. Or you can't get off. <laughs> well, and unfortunately, it's very challenging yeah. to, to get off of them once they're in motion. And our healthcare system is a little bit like that. And I think our caregivers express that when we when we interview them, that they feel like they get caught up in the healthcare system. And it begins to carry them, carry their loved one down a path that they may or may not actually want to be on. And they're not sure where they can change the trajectory of the trip, of the journey, of the care. So uh, we hope that um, the conversations today will actually enlighten that a little bit. We also hope that folks will look at the caregiver summits Mm -hmm. that are coming up as a a place to kind of get some ideas on what they may want to uh, pursue on their own. I think another issue that uh, caregivers have, and, and I think you know that's going to change over time as the baby boomers start getting older and older. They tend to want to make a lot more decisions for themselves. They're you know googling Med- WebMD to decide what diagnosis they have, and they're going to their doctor and trying to really self-direct care. But I think a lot of what happens is that the family caregiver really feels like they don't have a choice in the matter. They just feel like they have to do what the um, medical providers say and. The way the medical providers are geared for the most part is all about curing something. And if they get to a point in a disease where there isn't a cure, they're awfully scared about telling the family member that. And they're awfully scared about perhaps even suggesting making some end-of-life care plans. I agree with you. I, um, I'm actually, I wanted to introduce a, a quote that is out of um, the book from the author that we're going to interview in a few minutes. But uh, it's the quote is from Dame Cicely Saunders, who is um, undisputedly the founder of the hospice movement that began in England. And the quote is, you matter because you are you and you matter to the last moment of your life. We will do all we can not only to help you die peacefully, but also live until you die. And that's, uh, I think, a very poignant quote from uh, Dame Cicely Saunders. But it's, uh, and I think it's interesting that the author that we're going to interview started her book 
with that quote because that living until you die concept really should be baked into the entire caregiving journey. And that's the part that's missing. People forget that piece of it. Well, it's complicated. It's People think it's a giving up. There's no prescription. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not medically driven. It's mm-hmm. going to be self-driven, and that means we have to be fired up on our own to make this happen. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, we are fired up about the care of ourselves, the care of our loved ones, and are going to be very intentional and conscious in how we make those choices. Because mm-hmm. if we're not going to make them for ourselves and our loved ones, somebody's going to make them for us, and we're going to have to figure out later on if we were happy about that or not. More than likely, the answer is not. Well, and I think one of the challenges that I have when I talk to families about making a plan towards end-of-life care is the, is a very frequent comment, well, mom's a fighter, and she's going to fight this to the end. She's a fighter, but she's probably not immortal. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we, we just sometimes forget to address the reality of mortality. Uh, we talked about this at a recent uh, conference that was specific to one disease, and they were saying, we want to cure this one disease, and we agree, but if we cure this one disease, everybody we're going to cure from it. You're going to die for something else? They're still mortal. <laughs> I'm not saying we shouldn't cure diseases. We absolutely should. But we have to recognize that when we cure disease, we've not become immortal. We still have to address these issues. Yeah, that's a, a definitely a good point to take in. And we'll continue our conversation here on end-of-life planning and end-of-life care in just a bit. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. And you can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here along with Cooper Linton and Nicole Cleggett. And we're having a conversation about um, hospice and palliative care and also end-of-life planning and end-of-life care. And Cooper, you've got a, an expert here, and we just we read a, a small quote from uh, her book just a moment ago, but I'm interested uh, and excited for our conversation here coming up. Well, we're uh, very pleased to have Kimberly C. Paul with us today. She is a podcaster who runs uh, the Death by Design podcast. She's also recently written a book called Bridging the Gap, Life Lessons from the Dying. Um, and I think more relevantly, uh, she's an emerging thought leader on issues related to kind of the concept of reverse engineering your life with your own mortality in mind. And that's after spending a number of years in the hospice industry, but also in the entertainment industry, which is not a combination you see every day. So, Kimberly, we're glad to have you oh, uh, on you. the show this morning. Thank this you evening. very much. I'm glad to be here. You know, Raleigh is uh, my close to my heart. I went to Meredith College here, and, and it's my old stomping grounds, and so I'm really happy to be here with the both of you this morning. Well, thanks for coming through town and spending some of your travel time with us. Absolutely. We appreciate it. So, you didn't start off writing a book, and you didn't start off doing podcasting. How'd you get into this? Uh, you know, gosh... Um, I've always been interested in uh, the story, and I think that's where 
the the bridge from you know writing um, fiction and nonfiction and um, I've always been looking for the story that inspires and so to to be on a live set with Saturday Night Live in New York City to see that process and the writing process and the humor um, that we typically make fun of just everyday life and we kind of blow it out of proportion and then I went over to CBS and um, went into daytime casting aspect but on a daily basis we were looking at scripts and how do you tell a story that sort of never ends and and so I've always been caught up in the story and when I moved back to North Carolina um, to look at a show called Dawson's Creek so many years ago in Wilmington. Um, when I got down there, they were on hiatus and I, I didn't want to wait tables. And my grandmother had just died in hospice care and I was like, oh man, they're looking for a hospice, you know, a, a volunteer program manager. I thought it was a volunteer position to tell you the truth. And when I got there, there were like seven or eight people around the table and interviewing me and i'm like wow they're really taking volunteers serious around this place i mean well, they do, you, typically yeah. and then they were like no this is a paid position and i i took it um just uh i, I don't know if this reflects badly i just thought it would be a, a, a four-month thing and i would just quit and move back to dawson's creek and entertainment and so how long did the four months last about 17 years that's typical yeah, yeah. yeah. that's it, one it, of those it, four month 17 year journeys well that's the crazy thing is you know when people see my cv or resume they they typically go to that saturday night live or cbs but i will say this the last 17 years um is where the rich stories are and and to tell you the truth um being at the bedside of those who are facing end of life have have really taught me more about living than about how to die and if you really think about it you know birth is a moment death is a moment and I really think this whole death thing gets a bad rap because those who are facing end of life even a terminal illness or a chronic illness they're still living and 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 that's the 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 crazy myth that people think that that if you're dying then you're not living um and i think death is a moment and so what i tend to look at because of my experiences at the bedside and and some personal experiences i think it's precious life is precious because of that bookend you know, because it's going to end. Because there's a finality to it. It makes. Yeah. I mean, it just. I mean, there's a scarcity to life, and because of that, there's great value. Right. I mean, if it never ended, how would you sit up and take notice of special moments? And tomorrow would not matter nearly as much if we didn't have a limited number of them. Exactly. And about a year and a half ago, um, I would say, yeah, a year and a half ago, I was starting to research. I was still at a local hospice in, in Wilmington and. I started to research the trends and I, I think I was winged on podcast and TED Talks. I mean, I love them. I'm not a big television watcher. But except, you've done a TED Talk. Yes, I have. And a whole lot of podcasts. <laughs> and a whole lot of podcasting. But what intrigued me about the podcast world was there was so much percentage of increase in, in listenership. Um, and so I really pitched this podcast to my my hospice that I work with for 17 years. And um, they they were like, what's a podcast? And, and it was like right on the cusping edge because it was like 30 percent increase. Um, and then the next year it was like 43 percent increase in listenership. People were getting excited about yeah. it because like it's listening on demand. Absolutely. And I think what's crazy is, you know, sometimes television is irrelevant because it's on demand. Um, and what I love about podcasting, it brings another element to radio um, because radio has been doing podcasting for years. Right. And and r that's where I love 
um, the crossover is, you know, I think podcasting are just radio on demand. Um, and that's where, you know, sitting in a studio in Raleigh, um, you know, this is what I do on a weekly basis, but they do it on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, it's crazy. So you're, 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 program is called death by design those are not three words that we typically put together yeah Uh, well you know a lot of people i get blamed for like is that death with dignity or you know euthanasia and um i think that's a a narrow view to see those three words together i I like to think of uh, design thinking and ed catmull um who is um the ceo of pixar and uh, you know, IDEO with uh, an Apple, you know, they, they use this thing called design thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and how do we create um, design thinking around such a controversial subject such as death? Because it is controversial. Um, and that's what I love about it. It's edgy. Um, and you have to be a rebel sometimes to, to, to make things happen. But, but design thinking is applying and getting a lot of people around the table, like designers and artists and, and, and how, and clinical people. And how are we looking at this from all aspects? Because I think one of my goals in life is I want to reclaim death from the medical community. I, I think it's not a medical event, death. It, it's They're not. They're a participant in it. They don't own it. They don't own it. And so I feel like it's a very huge human experience and how can we humans um, take a little bit more uh, control over that um, when it comes to to the medical community which I, I tend to call you know disease management um, that's what I feel like the healthcare is now they're very good about if I break an arm they're gonna send me right back out and I golly I, I so am appreciative of that but I think that we've not come far enough in an acute setting when it comes to helping individuals face end of life and what our medical community has done is um, created more suffering. And I, I, I say that because I've been a part of that. You know, I, I feel like I've worked in healthcare and I've been a part of um, not looking at death um, and prolonging that death process. Um, and, and I'm trying to change that um, on the other side. So... So how do you think we can help empower family caregivers around this topic? Because, again, I feel like they often feel like they're powerless and they are literally sitting there and just medical care is happening to them versus them being an active participant with their loved one. Well, I think it's giving them permission that it is their choice. And I I sometimes feel like when we go into a physician's office or a hospital, we overlook because we're getting talked to. And instead of talking um, collaboratively. Because there's no time, Well, one. That's a big part of it. <laughs> true. It, it's no time. But, you know, I, I, I don't see my physician anything but a consultant. Mm-hmm. You know, I pay them to consult with me. But it is my job to be on top of what is going on with my body. And I believe I'm the only expert that knows what's going on with my body. And how do I collaborate with the healthcare community? Because they're really well-educated individuals and they really, really want to help you. Um, It's just that people have to have that permission. Um, I don't believe in WebMD. You know, I've been, I've been, I mean, I have a cold and I've been, I feel like I have cancer, diagnosed on cancer on there. And I think, I think there's other ways that are missing um, that how we can educate caregivers. 
In the studio, we have Kimberly C. Paul. She is a host of the Death by Design podcast and also author of the book, Bridging the Gap, Life Lessons from the Dying. And we'll continue our conversation all about end-of-life care right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claygate from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with. Uh, Cooper Linton, not Clinton. I, I almost got tripped up here, Cooper, but I, Thanks, I caught Jason. myself. I appreciate that. I, I, myself. I appreciate just the, the cheap shot there. I appreciate it. No problem. <laughs> Nicole Cleggett and our guest this evening is Kimberly C. Paul, and she is the host of the Death by Design podcast, also author of the book, Bridging the Gap, Life Lessons from the Dying. And Cooper, you read a, a, a uh, a very appropriate quote um, that sort of starts out the book there, and uh, we're going to dive into that here a little bit more. We are. There's uh, the bridging the gap is really the the, the book is uh, very poignant. It tells a lot of personal stories. There's also uh, quite a number of references uh, in the book that if people want to know more about it, they want to hear particular authors or thought leaders that have been interviewed. Uh, the there's there's uh, references to where that can be found, but the real focus of the Bridging the Gap book is on there's five gaps and uh, really Kimberly wanted to explore those a little with you. The first one is medical culture versus community and I know we only have a few minutes to talk about a book and also talk about your three year adventure. uh, I call it Grand Adventure Grand Adventure that's upcoming. Basically, um, I'll, I'll keep it really simple is is you know the medical individuals whether you're a nurse or a social worker they go to school especially physicians they they go to medical school they learn sixty thousand new words um, which is another language right. so I think the there's a, a huge language barrier and literacy I- issue um, with clinical individuals talking to just someone who's not had any health care background um, and so when you're talking about diagnosis and you know labs and this and that it's such a foreign thing for the community members to connect to well i i have dealt several times in my own personal life with family members who struggled mightily with health literacy and so they're given information and they just candidly later come to me and say i have no idea what this says Mm -hmm. and i I don't even know if it matters. Right. Well, and if you can't, some of it really mattered. Yeah. The thing is, if you don't know what, what they're talking about, how can you be educated enough to make decisions about what to move forward on? And I, I just saw a documentary about John McCain last night on HBO, and he starts off saying he had a hard time with physicians telling him the truth. I want to know the truth. Am I dying? Is this operable? You know, with his brain tumor. And I thought it was really poignant that he he really begged the medical community to please tell the truth compassionate candor yeah i mean i don't i think if we don't tell the truth we're feeding false hope so is that part of the clinical versus non-clinical gap that you also reference yeah you know that's the the 
I believe death is coming to all of us. And I think we all have to have a voice in that. And and we have to be collaborative with the medical community because they're going to be the ones that are going to possibly, especially right now, uh, a lot of people are dying in the hospital. Um, I think the baby boomers are going to change that a little bit. Um, and, and they've kicked the door open um, to some of these conversations. And they're trying to change how they are dying. Um, and so... Yeah, it's it's the non-clinical and the clinical. When you work in healthcare, sometimes we don't appreciate the difference. Um, you know, I'm a creative, and clinical people could sense my presence around the corner. And and my thing, I, I think we both have a very very big and valid role. Well, I think even among the clinical folks, if you even look at the hierarchy of the physicians all the way down to the certified nursing assistants, there's a huge disparity between what the certified nursing assistants are expected to understand and what their education level is. Absolutely. And so that's part of what we try to do in this area is really try to bridge the gap so that certified nursing assistants can actually follow the plan of care that the physicians put forth because they're the ones really that are providing that very intimate and physical one-on-one care every single day. And a lot of them, quite frankly, can't read. Right. And then how do they follow a plan of care when they don't understand what they're reading? And I will will say this, uh, CNAs, what we Mm -hmm. call them, certified nursing assistants, they are the backbone of this healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And they are the ones that families fall in love with. Mm -hmm. They are the ones that spend the majority of time with those families and if we don't arm them with how they can identify um, families in in stress Mm -hmm. they can play a major major role Um, what sucks is they get paid so little right and and we've got to change that because I believe their role should be a lot bigger um, Mm -hmm. when it comes to that interdisciplinary team especially with hospice they're the eyes and ears even way before hospice I mean it it goes on for years Years for folks, and they uh, they just a lot of times they don't get the respect. And then the other part of the problem we have is this country we're not very service oriented anymore. So it's really hard. To, even if we paid big bucks, let's face it, it is not glamorous work, and it's backbreaking work. And they, the days go on and on. And so it's really hard to even find individuals who have a heart to do this type of work. Absolutely, absolutely. But I will say, uh, I don't know what the future holds, but um, I do believe um, that I will be a I will be a caregiver. Mm-hmm. And oh, you I will. Be. I I will take on those responsibilities um, of a nurse, nursing assistant, mm-hmm. and and those. I hope, even though they're going to be difficult for that transition, whoever I love in that situation, I think it's going to be the most rewarding thing I will ever do in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and we, I was just doing a podcast with a friend of mine um, last week who's severely injured, and he promoted the caregivers who took care of him for 50 days in ICU and that they never get attention and they never get respite. Mm -hmm. But he gets the claim um, because he survived this tragic event and Mm -hmm. he's, but it, it was that team of caregivers Right down from the the physicians, but also the loved ones that slept in ICU with him. That's right. Um, that made this recovery possible. And so, the more I can toot um, CNAs or, or caregivers, um, and how do we support them as a nation, as a community? Um, we need to do better than they deserve better. Nicole and I were at a conference this past week, and it was amazing to me how many people in the room were caregivers and they were professional caregivers 
But when we polled them, an incredible percentage of them were personal caregivers on a personal journey. And so they go to work every day and they take care of people and they go home at night and they take care of people. And there's no day off. There's no afternoon off. There's no respite day. This is the entire definition of their life because they are on a very similar personal journey that many of us are on, but their profession requires that of them. And we're asking an enormous amount of these people as we have an aging population. Sure. So, and then add a husband, partner, wife on that, children on that. I mean, and there's then no stress there's, in those, though. Yeah, I mean, it's just like <laughs> it just is a, it's a domino effect. Sure. Um, and I, I don't believe there's a lot of resources out there. We've got to change that. We've got to radically change that. So tell me about this radical three-year adventure <laughs> you have coming up. Well, you know, if, if you read the book Bridging the Gap, what I've learned, uh, I learned a lot about life and life lessons. And, and so I left full-time employment, even though I do have a podcast. And I mean, if you want to get rich, don't write a book and do a podcast, because that is a guarantee that you will not walk away wealthy. But I have this... I have this passion to really arm the individual. And so what I've learned from the bedside of the dying is that money, um, fame, titles, they, they're not that important. And I also, I also believe that the more choices we have at end of life, the better. And so as the VP sitting behind a hospice desk, um, you know, I came to a crossroads. You know, I believe the more options we had uh, or have or create at an end of life is is what we need. Hospice is a great choice. Palliative care is a great choice. But they're not the only choices out there. Um, they're my choices. Um, but I, I so I learned these lessons and I decided to buy an RV. Um, and my dog, Haven, who's sleeping right by my feet right now, we're going to go town to town um, and we're going to do 49 states. And that includes Alaska. So we'll, we'll do a Canada, too. It's just really hard to drive to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm hoping Oprah will help me with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, you if, just uh, never know. Yeah, if she could uh, help you out with that a little bit. That, yeah, yeah. Be really a long chopper ride. Well, the... I think you're bringing up a point, though, that hospice, as we all as we have always known it, may be primed for a bit of a revival, a revision, and we're seeing some discussions about that at the national level to try and make the concept of hospice and palliative care more inclusive, less predefined, less restrictive in some of the Please. elements requ that require. You know, what do you t what does it take to qualify? And we're early on in that process, but I believe that we're beginning to see a shift at the national level to heighten the consciousness of what hospice and palliative medicine can evolve into as opposed to what it's always been. And we uh, appreciate the, the work that you've done Thanks. highlighting these books or the, the elements of the gaps in the book and the topics you're pushing on Death by Design. And I hope you have a tremendous three-year adventure. Yeah, I'm hoping. Uh, I'm, I'm doing it for the legacy of the patients that taught me how to live, but also um, creating uh, – allowing them to be part of my legacy. So it's just a, it's an amazing, it'll be, it's going to be an amazing time. I'm sure we're going to have some hard dates, but you know, it, what three years on the road and, and talking about death and dying, but really we're talking about life. 
Kimberly C. Paul is our guest this evening, and you can hear her podcast, Death by Design, by going to her website, deathbydesign.com. You can also pick up her book, Bridging the Gap, Life Lessons from the Dying. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. We'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-hosts, Nicole Claycott and Cooper Linton. Here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Hey, if you want to find more about Transitions Life Care, head on over to their website, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett and Cooper Linton. Uh, we just had Kimberly C. Paul here in the studio, and uh, that was just, uh, I thought she was a wonderful guest. And again, if you want to catch her podcast, deathbydesign.com is the website to find more information there. Cooper and Nicole, yeah, plenty of events going on. We just, <laughs> man, we just had a, another great caregiver summit this this past week. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know you, uh, the 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 next thing you want to think about is more events, more but, caregiver summits. Yeah, yeah, but there's there's more going on. That's just the beginning. Well, it's actually true. Uh, we know that we've we were asked year after year, can you increase the number of these summits? Can you put them in different places? And so instead of actually increasing the number of them, we've spread them out. We've altered the content so that uh, if you've been to one, it's going to be different when you go to the next one. So you've there's, been to one. You've been to one. If you've been to one, you've only been to one. You're not going to see duplication at the other events. Uh, and so the one that was in Durham at the Sheraton Imperial off of Page Road uh, was just it was it was incredible to see the number of people showing up and the growth from one year over to the next. I think part of that was shifting the venue. Part of that's also shifting some of the educational content. Uh, but folks who missed that actually have a chance to go to another one not that very far into the future. So. No, so the next one is on August 7th at the Friday Center in Chapel Hill. So for those that have that, there is some sort of a psychological barrier for moving one county to the next in this area. I've, I've, I passed through it. I must have some kind of superhuman strength. But <laughs> for those who wouldn't from Chapel Hill or Raleigh that don't want to go to Durham, you can, you can go to Chapel Hill. Um, and that is going to be on August 7th at the Friday Center. And I think, you know, interestingly, kind of picking up on what some, uh, some of what a Kimberly said, one of the topics that we're going to be talking about is supported decision making and, you know, really recognizing yourself as sort of the person who is the general contractor, so to speak, but then finding folks around you that can help you make some informed decisions. So that that's one of our sessions uh, upcoming in August. Another thing that we do talk about from time to time has to do with technology and mm-hmm. technology and caregiving. And, you know, geez, just about every week, I think either Cooper or I get pitched some sort of a piece of technology <laughs> that people want our opinion on. Do we think this is going to resonate with the family caregiver? And, you know, we have a lady that's coming who is not uh, necessarily pimping a particular product, but she's there to really just talk about generally the different types of products that exist and how she sees technology helping to support family caregivers in the future. Well, there's sometimes a misconception that there's the right technology and then there's the wrong technology. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a little bit like cars. Um, the, the right vehicle for me or for my family is very different than the right vehicle 
for somebody else. And Nicole and I drive different vehicles. Our families use vehicles differently. That's totally okay. It's the right call for she and her family, and we do something different in ours. And technology is the same way. What are your needs? What are you trying to achieve? What is the caregiver experience that you're trying to enhance through the technology? What are the safety issues? And having an expert guide you through it is very valuable. You know, and some of those listening might remember Irma Bombeck, and one of her famous quotes was trying to find bless in the mess. And so part of what we do at the Caregiver Summit is trying to help that family caregiver find some respite during the day. And sometimes respite means let's attend a session and let's talk about laughter and let's let's think about how much laughter can really help us with our self-care. And the reality of it is, is, you know, just doing something for a few minutes that uplifts your spirit makes all the difference in the world to refuel you during your caregiving journey. Yeah, people just need a psychic break. I mean, realistically, you've got to have some sort of psychic break to where you refuel. You can even, to some extent, recycle yourself so there's some newness back in your life as a caregiver. And many people are caregiving for multiple people. They've got to have some of themselves left over and really to, to, uh, to be their best self. I think another thing that, you know, families that come to these summits, and, and, and we knew, it's not even just I think, we know families that come to these summits really want information, and they want some meat and potatoes as well as the, as the side items. One of the pieces of meat and potatoes that they often ask us to talk about from year to year is really the legal issues surrounding being a family caregiver and how to best support your loved ones. So we always have some sort of a topic, and this year one of our topics um, has to do, again, with legal issues, Medicaid, Medicare, um, power reserve attorney, advanced directives, that sort of thing, uh, by our one of our presenting sponsors, Clarity Legal Group. So we are very excited, and those sessions always fill beyond what the rooms can hold and very well supported and loved by our families. People are scared of the legal issues, and part of it is they're afraid of the cost. Yeah, exactly. When they, when well. they hear, they, they, there's some truth yeah, to it. Yeah. Um, you know, we... We love the attorneys that support these programs, and we love the ones that are helping our families navigate issues, but we love to make lawyer jokes, right? I mean, even lawyers love to make lawyer jokes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and actually, just for the record, most attorneys I know have better lawyer jokes than anybody I have ever heard. They collect them. Well, and this lawyer's last name happens to be Costly. So. Absolutely. Costly. <laughs> I mean, how better? Well, it's, that one writes itself. You know, he, you know? he's, yeah, it does. It writes itself. And he's heard it more than once. Um, but these folks are coming in, and they're not charging for this. They are really mm-hmm. giving advice and that is incredibly valuable, and there isn't a financial barrier. And frankly, the fear of it is sometimes worse than the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's better to just go ahead and address these issues and understand what your needs are. Yeah, the last thing you want to encounter is some sort of legal roadblock when it comes to a caregiving situation. I and mean, then that, you're in a crisis. Right, yeah. And you don't have the time. You don't know. You don't have any context to solve it. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest undercurrents of the day for all of these summits, and, and it's definitely something you can feel when you walk into the room, the families come into the summit and they are stressed, they are overwhelmed. But by the time they leave, just the whole spirit of the entire venue is completely uplifted and you really see family members that have made bonds, there are new friendships, there are ways that people start supporting each other during some of the sessions, just through, throughout the conversations or during the lunch and entertainment. And you know, that, to me is almost worth more than even putting on the sessions. It's just the fact that people, when they're caregiving, and I've done it twice, you feel incredibly isolated. 
And when they come to a, an event like this, they realize they are not alone in this journey. They have a shared navigation of the experience. Uh, and I think that's sometimes more valuable than the speakers. The other thing that we hear routinely, though, is the value of seeing all of the resources in one place in the way mm-hmm. of vendors. Yep. Uh, they said, well, I don't have time to go talk to people who can modify my house, who can be an attorney, who can provide in-home care, that can assist with a ramp, that can just keep naming things. You don't have to find time to drive all over the triangle or all over the region. You can come to one spot in one place and in the course of one hour save you weeks of work. That alone is worth coming for. Well, and part of that has to do really with competency of the caregivers people don't know what they don't know and they don't know what's out there so i think sometimes what happens is is when people walk into the exhibitor hall first of all they just can't believe how many organizations are there and then they can't believe the types of resources that exist that they had no idea even existed the day before they walked into the summit there is another uh expo coming up it is the triangle expo for lgbtq aging adults that's been put on by sage uh, and it's going to be held on saturday june 23rd from 11 a.m to 4 p.m so that's coming up rather quickly it's uh, really next week and it's going to be at the five point center for active adults here in raleigh Uh, so five point center for active adults it is the first ever lgbtq aging adult expo because there really are some different issues regarding uh, aging and services for the LGBTQ uh, community. And you do not have to self-identify as that, but it may be that you're taking care of somebody who is a a member of that community and want to look at resources for them. Uh, And Transitions Life Care is very pleased uh, to be a sponsor of that event. Yeah, it's a great way to find some more information. And if you're interested in the caregiver summits, you can head over to the WPTF.com website, head over to the Aging Matters page, or go to caregiversummit.org, caregiversummit.org. And you can find plenty of information there. We are just about out of time here. I want to, again, thank our guest, Kimberly C. Paul, for coming on the program. You can catch her podcast, Death by Design, at her website, deathbydesign.com. You can also pick up her book, Bridging the Gap, Life Lessons from the Dying. We are just about out of time here. I want to remind you, if you want to shoot us an email, agingmatters at uh, transitionslifecare.org. Agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. On behalf of Cooper Linton and Nicole Cleggett, I almost changed your name back to your old name, Nicole, but I caught myself before I did that. <laughs> I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week here on Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio. 680 WPTF. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.